Are there parts of motherhood that did not come naturally? Do you feel overwhelmed? Are there secrets you wish you knew in advance about the motherhood journey? Could you use a place to cope with motherhood, laugh your woes away, and lighten the mommy guilt? Welcome to Toward, finding a mom-life balance. Welcome back to Torn, Finding a Mom-Life Balance. On this week's episode, we are going to touch on the topic of parenting through virtual times. So memes, you know, with the year continuing to move forward in rapid fashion, and more and more because of the pandemic, life has to be virtual and many companies are coming out with their rest of the year of 2020 plan and many schools are coming out with their plans and then quickly reversing those plans to go back to being virtual. Um, How do we parent our children to build them up to have good people skills, you know? I think it's another example of how parenting has so many unexpected um, twists and turns in the journey and the adventure because, you know, while there are books written and other people have done it, each of our children are different, each of our expectations, each of our skills are different. I think this is a time that's really pushed me to analyze my own systems and what I prioritize. And I spent a lot of it just rolling with what was happening and kind of day to day going through phases of adjusting my habits, my routines to try to find a way because I wasn't able to compartmentalize, which was I real which I realized was one of my strategies of being able to be at a hundred percent in each place was that I was one thing at home and I was another thing at work and merging those, I realize it's been really hard. So I can only imagine for our children, how they feel not having a specific space for each of these worlds that they have and like merging it and having you present on your Zooms with their friends and um, your parents either you know, the first time that they're like encouraging you to be on a screen when usually we're limiting screen time. And two of the big things I think about is what I always think about, like wanting my kids to be good people. Like in the end, I just want them to be good people. So putting into the routine, the things that are going to help them keep being that way. Right. We have to talk to each other we have to be considerate of each other's space and then we have to like figure out what each other is feeling and how to manage those emotions and so two big buckets is like grace and gratitude like we have to have grace with each other and then we have to be really grateful that we're healthy that we're seeing you know another day and whatever comes with it all the unexpected that that's some of my first reflections about how parenting has shifted in this in this pandemic. Yeah, and it actually has caused me to go back and kind of chuckle because 
everyone now is living the homeschool parent life. <laughs> you know, and I remember when we homeschooled our oldest and all the feedback we were getting, you know, oh, you know, he's going to have trouble socializing or, you know, that it's important to have social skills and interact with people and learn how to work with others. And now we're all being forced to kind of embrace some of those homeschool folks' worlds. And I just think it's kind of humorous um, that we're there, you know, because it's kind of taking it a step back. I think back to when education, like, originally started in the one schoolhouse and how they did it there. And we're kind of back at those times. But there's a lot to be learned from it. And um, I think it's actually a really... Uh, positive thing because kind of like you were saying it caused you to slow down and recalibrate and figure out why what you were doing was working or not working right and start with a new plan but I think the hardest thing from it um, because I only homeschooled a third grader and above is uh, seeing my kindergartner do kindergarten virtually you know, because I don't think you can fully learn to uh, collaborate, compromise, um, understand another kindergartner's emotions unless you're physically sharing the same space. Because it's, it is different, even though I have like a five-year-old and a two-year-old, that interaction and that compromise and that growing to understand your sibling is very different than growing to understand someone that's not a part of your family and respecting that person's boundaries. Um, and, and, I just, and people right? with different values, right? Because what ends Correct. up happening in a school setting is that while someone else thinks their behavior is perfectly okay, that might not be what your <laughs> child's familiar with or their approach or their delivery of information of what I want, what I don't want, what's okay, what isn't okay for me. Um, it's, interesting the community dynamic that happens at that age the you know and all the things that can't happen even if we were to go to some hybrid limited you know population in a school version because we can't sit and serve together everyone gets their separate wrap lunch there's just so many things that are so essential and that we've prioritized in that preschool and early childhood education that is completely warped by being in yeah. a pandemic. Um, it's it's recess, interesting. Outdoors, the yeah. games they play, their content, you know, they're, it's ton like it's just very hard to imagine, especially, I, I agree, especially for that age group. Yeah, and so one of the things that I've been trying to actively be conscious of is making my five-year-old realize that, hey, we're not, a television screen, right? Where you can hit pause and say, Oh, I'm going to come back to that and hear you later, or I'm going to fast forward because I don't want to hear what you're saying and get to the part that I do want, like getting um, him to learn how to have conversation with other people other than his family. Um, and that, you know, was difficult. So like today was his first meet and greet with his kindergarten teacher and just teaching him how to sit through listening to other people sharing about themselves and not him <laughs> being the star 
star speaker, guest speaker, keynote speaker, um, that he wasn't that. He had to actually listen and be interested in someone else's life, you know, and that's really difficult because I get the like, you know, sitting there staring at a screen and thinking, hey, if I turn off the video, this person can't really see what I'm doing and it doesn't know that I'm not listening, you know, or I can just stare at the screen and zoom out, <laughs> you know, just like daydream um, because you don't have the in-person energy or even like the basic things of like being able to read people's emotions um, by their facial expressions. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes virtually because there's sometimes a lag and all these technical problems that you're not really sure if the person was ask, asking a question because their voice didn't influx, you know, those basic social skills that we took, take for granted, um, having to consciously weave that into my day of like teaching my child um, to be good at those social interactions has been interesting because even my third grader when we kind of like we were talking about earlier we celebrated my oldest son's graduation um, from high school and one of the heads of the school like a teacher a faculty member was trying to talk to my third grader and you know he was just giving uh yeah and not making eye contact and I'm like gosh before um, we were 100% virtual and from home like he was making awesome eye contact. Like he learned that skill <laughs> at three years old and was able to say yes, no, and interact in just these brief little months of like not having to talk to an adult that wasn't his parent or a familiar family member. He's like completely lost his proper etiquette. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no, this cannot happen. So start having those conversations and reminding him but I was wondering, like, I mean, what are some of the ways to, like, break out of, like, the scheduled times to speak versus the impromptu having to talk to someone because you randomly bumped into them in the hallway, you know, that those awesome opportunities teach you on how to interact with someone that you might have been trying to avoid. Like, during this time, you could just avoid them. So how do we teach our kids to have the difficult conversations and speak with those that they may or may not always agree with or enjoy. I think one of the ways I've been trying to embrace is through literature and through some of the either shows or characters that she likes, because I think we can still really visit places that are very different than what we know and explore issues that might not be happening because I think one of the most essential things is empathy and mm -hmm. living through what's like whatever happens in class someone tripped and fell or someone wanted the penguin and someone else had asked for it first or gotten there first or whatever and living through that and seeing someone else not get exactly what they wanted or you're the student not getting exactly what you wanted makes you just have an empathy and I feel like teachers that are great at being early childhood educators like will use every lived experience to kind of connect well do you see how nicely someone 
shared this and then asked when they were ready to get it back to get it back. And I think we can still do that with literature and we can do it um, during times that we're doing activities. If it's not, you know, something, you know, when you can go and keep the social distance or take a walk or go to the park and they can still have the incidents that happen with their siblings. But I think if they can explore some other realms, I that's the one I've been digging into a lot and trying to get her to understand that people have different likes, dislikes, uh, things that are important to them um, through those characters has been one of the major ways I've tried to do it. Yeah, that's an awesome one Um, because even through reading stories, one of the things I like to have my sons do is predict how the character, uh, any of the characters in the story are going to emotionally respond to the situation or feel about the situation. And it's funny when they're two, you know, you can tell them that the character just stubbed their toe and they're going to say, oh, they're going to laugh. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> so <laughs> um, It's just uh, a good check to see if they're able to empathize and really connect um, how other people are feeling. And then the other thing that I've been struggling with with this virtual time and trying to stay authentic with my kids is making sure that not every minute of the day is structured. And the reason I probably struggle with that the most is because I'm a very structured person and I personally do not enjoy unscheduled time. Like if there's time that doesn't have anything associated to it, I like to put something there. Um, But I've been purposely doing that for my boys, leaving slots in the day where we either spontaneously take a walk or we decide to go get snow cones in the car Um, just so that they know that the unexpected can happen because I feel like being 100% virtual, um, working from home, them doing school from home, that they can begin to think that everything in life is predictable or routine, right? And that's just not life at all. Life is very unpredictable and forever changing. Another area with parenting during these virtual times that I know we've both been probably reflecting on is the academic world. If your institution wasn't established to be virtual learning and your child was used to going to a physical building to learn and perform the educational instruction, how do we hold them to a standard of excellence? How do we know they truly mastered a skill? Um, Because in the Montessori uh, methodology that we kind of use at our school, it's all about being able to teach it to someone else. That's when they know that you fully have mastered something that you not only understand it yourself, but it comes out of you to want to teach it to your fellow peer, Um, which will be really difficult to do uh, when we're 100% virtual. So I was wondering, being that you're an educator and you're in that field, what kind of things as a parent we can do to make sure our child is mastering at their level? I think it's getting creative with the way we want 
the product to look and then if we aren't already pretty in tune to like the style our child has for learning trying to figure out a little more you know paying closer attention to the way they process or the questions they have or what comes really easily because I think variety is really what's needed in this platform it's Perhaps it's a video so that they're explaining orally the concept that their history teacher wants them to master, or it's project-based so that over time they're seeing progress in something they're drafting or in a type of problem that they're working on. Maybe with math and science, it's looking at more of a, a concept and how the, the rules and the, the, the scientific um, formulas and the concepts that they're trying to master in math, like how they're applicable to, you know, off the top of my head, I'll say something like an automobile or what are the things in physics that they could apply to that. Um, and it's so what it makes me realize from the educator on it that it takes that much more creativity and flexibility from educators to monitor what their students are grasping and monitor how they're getting it. Because if you're accepting different things, you still want it to be equal um, time that they spend on it, attempts that they make at it, how many times you spiral material, but then kids get things at different paces and they always do in person anyway. And you try to hit different modalities, but I think a lot of flexibility and what that looks like. I had a conversation with one of our history teachers and I was just explaining that maybe something project-based where the things that would have been week-to-week deliverables were like a one hit. It was, let's focus on one part of this and then over time, I'm going to see how my claim or my evidence Mm -hmm. or how I connect it to another time period, that will be the project over a time that you're discussing you know, document-based responses or things like that. But I think it has to be diverse. Maybe there's a student who is into music and maybe wants to present their thoughts in some spoken word or wrapping it. Maybe someone is doing interpretive dance to show um, reactions or emotions to a novel. And, it, and it's, it's difficult from the educator perspective to know that all those things are equal and that they're still getting the literacy that they're getting, the critical thinking, that all the standards that they need to master and the way we want them to be articulate and deep thinkers and be able to go across their curriculum and, you know, express the concepts and apply them is not cookie cutter. It's Correct. never been, but even more so in this sense, it, it isn't. Um, my push with my little one is she loves music and it's figuring out how to keep exploring like the academic literacy, her letters, her numbers, but also continuing to explore. Like maybe this is the time where she does learn a little bit about melody and, you know, and even if she doesn't, maybe she will name it, but maybe it's not about the definitions and the names of those things, but the concept and what she does with that to apply it to her numbers and her letters and dance movement, her emotions. Um, 
because that's a strength she has. And that takes me learning it because those are not my strengths. And that's a whole other full-time job. So it's also, I'll go back to having grace with yourself and with your child and trying to find the ways that you're going to optimize the contact you have with them and the relationship you have with them and think a little bit out of the box. Maybe it is baking sometimes, but maybe sometimes it's building something and other times it's a virtual tour of a museum. You know, it's a, it's a balance and it takes resources and a mix of what your school is offering and what you value and what you know about your child to really see them grow and that growth not be able to be measured on a chart that your school can give you or a standard that a grade level gives you during this time. Yeah, and I think it comes back to just spending time with your child. Um, the more time you spend with them, the more you'll realize what they've mastered and what they haven't, right? And so it's having those conversations and taking advantage of the fact that we're all home now um, to spend that time together. And one of the other things kind of along the same uh, line of you know, spending time with your child is keeping a pulse on their mental health. Um, I think that's another thing during this virtual time that parents have to be a little more aware of and a little more in tune because of possibly the lack of sunlight or because you're not going out as much or some of our extroverts are suffering because they're not getting to socialize as much as they would like to with their friends or with other folks outside of their home. Um, or even just the monotony of, you know, Monday through Sunday kind of looking the same. And maybe some folks like their children have felt like they lost their purpose or they don't really know what to do with themselves throughout the day, you know, um, which I think, you know, brings us back to having to spend time with their children to really get a pulse on how they're doing and how they're coping um, with this, with this pandemic. Um, and that one of the biggest things that we can do is model for our children, right? So it's making sure we're getting enough sleep and sunlight and water and proper meals so that our mental health is stable as well. And definitely realizing that because they're a certain age or a certain grade, it won't look a certain way. So it's just getting a sense of kind of their peace, their joy, their calm, um, their upset, their disappointment, and, and how much it varies or what impacts it um, is probably a better way of monitoring that than feeling like it needs to look a certain way at a certain developmental stage. I think it's just more following your gut. But I think when we tune into it and we're consciously saying, what is that whining about? What was that tantrum about? Why are they so kind of removed when the sleeping patterns are off? But we're looking for it. I think it's more where you'll notice like what's needed and maybe a weekend can include a little more of the outdoor together or maybe a one-on-one time taking a walk or you know riding a bike together or something like that so that you can zoom in a little bit more on what you're sensing yeah exactly because um 
I'll just share a personal testimony here. The, you know, past two weeks, uh, my third grader, you know, he's been very emotional. Uh, he's our extrovert and it's wearing on him. This not seeing his friends, having to do everything through a screen to interact with them. And, um, you know, so like, so one week he's whining and crying and then the next week he starts soccer and he's fine. Right. Like he's beginning to run and play sports again. And, and it was just that. And it was interesting because at the beginning in March, he was whining and crying because he was doing too much interacting with people and, you know, too many sports and he was approaching burnout. So, um, it's just keeping a pulse and understanding your child's mood swings, but also being aware of everything else that's going on around them and being able to talk about it and giving them space to talk about it, whether that's around your dinner table or right before they go to bed at night, those awesome tuck-ins um, that may or may not keep you captive, but <laughs> they, uh, just giving them that space and time to be able to voice how they feel, what they're thinking, and even probing with questions, um, especially for those of us that might feel uncomfortable talking about the mushy um, emotional stuff, but probing and asking questions also helps to make them realize that they can share and that they have a safe space, safe space to share. So Torn Tribe, we would love to hear from you guys and hear some of your tips on how you've been parenting during these virtual times. What are some things that you've picked up on, some of the challenges that you faced and have overcome? So now for our favorite part of the show, The Mend. And now for our Mend segment, where we share a highlight from the week. And just to change it up, because usually I go first, what's mending you at, Dina? Oh, I got a good one. I had an extra... Two weeks of bonus quality time with my piglet. That's what mended me. <laughs> I enjoyed our walks, our talks. Um, it was a blessing to have a little woman's perspective for a couple extra days. And to feel appreciated and that somebody wanted to hang out with me. <laughs> so... And uh, it was like having a mini me around for two extra weeks. And so I really enjoyed that. Um, there's a unique bond between a niece and an aunt. And I'm excited to be the aunt in this situation and um, get to just pour into her, see how she responds, the things that, and it was just interesting to have her around and see me live life because the things that she would ask me, like, why do I do that? Her mom does it differently. Um, why, why, why do I say that? <laughs> or, um, or just her sitting in my lab and asking about my work and just her curiosity with, who I was, which was pretty interesting for me because as a kid, having a couple of different aunts, um, I can't honestly say that I was that interested mm -hmm. in what my aunts were doing. I was like kind of the kid of, I hope my aunt doesn't notice me 
doing this. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I hope I fly under the radar here and I could go play with my cousins and um not have to speak to you one on one. You know. Mm-hmm. So it was just interesting to see how comfortable she was with me and getting that quality time with her was precious. So that's my mend. My Sophie Grace. So mine is family in general. I've always, I've always boasted to people of the family dynamic I have, how close I am to my siblings, how my parents raised us. And it's in the time of like going to visit, spending time with my sister and her family and seeing my nephews. And actually, I think this time my brother-in-law and I had like, a flow of helping each other and seeing like, I don't even know how I was around that many people. I I don't know how that didn't break me after so many weeks of like what I feel like is house arrest. Um, But we actually like had a system with grocery shopping and cooking. We checked in with each other and that was great. And I had quality time with my sister and I had quality time with my mom and my daughter had time with, everyone and then I had time with my nephews in different ways and in shifts over the time and I was glad that my dad was there for it and we all missed that my brother wasn't there for those three weeks or any part of it but I'm really really grateful to have people that give me like mirrors of myself um, that I think I can influence but they also grow me um I know that that is like every family is different and the ones who adore their families feel they have the same thing, but I know I have a very unique and special (laughs) tribe and for the good, the bad and the ugly, we're unique and they're mine and I love them. So, Torn Tribe, we want you to stay connected and not miss us the next time around. So, mean, tell folks how to stay connected. We're at Torn MLB on social media. So, that's IG, Facebook, and Twitter. Email us to tornmlb at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Choose Grace. When you feel torn, choose Choose grace. grace.